Welcome back to the Dirt Show from Miami Beach, uh, Florida. A stunning new development today in um, the issue of classified uh, material. Well, it turns out that on November 2nd, about a week before the midterm elections, um, uh, President Biden's lawyers discovered uh, apparently classified national security material in a locked closet in a private non-secure office, locked closet though, non-secure office uh, in Washington, D.C. And, uh, and, and, and called the archives and, and, and turned the material uh, over. Um, now, a lot of people are asking what impact will this have on the possible prosecution of, of Donald Trump? And it's, it's clearly a knife that, that cuts both ways and I'll explain in a minute. But the one thing that's a little unclear, and even the New York Times, which we know what side it's on in its reporting, even the New York Times reported as follows. The White House statement said it is cooperating with the Department, Justice Department, but did not explain why Mr. Biden's team waited more than two months to announce the discovery of the documents, which came a week before the midterm congressional elections when the news could have been an explosive last-minute development. So that's going to be a really interesting issue to explore. The timing. Timing is everything. Remember what happened with Hillary Clinton and the timing of her election, uh, the statement by the former director of the FBI just days before the election that they're not going to prosecute her, but that what she did was wrong and irresponsible. Uh, etc. And he was much criticized for the timing just before the election. Now, I'm sure that the Justice Department will be criticized, would be criticized either way, if they had disclosed it sometime between November 2nd and the election a week later, they would have been criticized by the Democrats for doing that. Uh, now, failure to disclose for two months, what, what's the two-month delay? will cause some criticism by Republicans. I think there are two issues, basically. One, should there have been a rush disclosure uh, in the week between the 2nd of November and the election? The argument there could go both ways. Well, we weren't sure. Uh, we have to do further investigation, although it was pretty obvious. They found material that was classified, marked classified, in a place it shouldn't have been. Um, uh, he put it there when he was, or it was put there, when he was vice president, not president. Obviously, he couldn't declassify when he was vice president. The vice president doesn't have any authority to do that. And and that's that's question number one. Why was it not disclosed when it could have affected the election? I can understand the arguments on both sides of that. The other one is a little harder to explain. Why two months? Why did it need two additional months before the disclosure um, was made. And of course, the disclosure came at just about the same time that Trump announces for president and that Garland appoints a special prosecutor to investigate the Mar-a-Lago uh, possession of classified material. So, so timing, timing is, is everything. And, and we're going to hear a lot um, in the days to come about why the timing was as it, it was. But um, the other thing that's going to happen, of course, is that both sides are going to spin the story in their in their favor. The Trump people already are spinning it. 
President Trump already made a statement saying, see, uh, classified material could have been national security material. It could have disclosed sources and, and methods, and uh, it could have endangered our national security. So, you know, we're, we're hearing that. On the Democratic side, we're hearing, oh, well, what a difference. Um, the Biden people turned it over immediately that day, the day they found it. There was never any resistance, whereas the Trump people, you know, hemmed and hawed, refused to turn it over, needed to have a search warrant and then a subpoena. And even the subpoena didn't produce exactly what it was supposed to produce. So it cuts against Trump and Trump is going to say it cuts in his favor. Well, I have my own view on it. Uh, I think it cuts both ways. But I think in the end, it's going to favor uh, Trump. I think it should be much harder for Garland. And remember, Garland is the last word on on this. Um, he's the one who decides whether to prosecute or not to prosecute, not the special investigator, not the special prosecutor. The, the buck stops with him when it comes to prosecution under Justice Department rules. And, and, and I just don't think he's going to prosecute uh, a presidential candidate who's running against his own boss, that is Trump, running for election against President Biden, I just don't think that even before this disclosure, he was going to uh, prosecute him for something that seems in some ways akin to what um, uh, candidate um, Hillary Clinton and her uh, and, and President Clinton's national security advisor, Sandy Berger, were accused of doing. Now, there are differences. Obviously, there are always differences. But writ large, the picture looks uh, somewhat somewhat similar, unlawful possession or housing of classified or improperly held uh, material. But I just think it's going to be very hard for an honorable attorney general. And Garland is an honorable guy. He's very concerned about his reputation. He's a former judge, um, was a very good judge, had a high regard uh, by the legal profession. I just don't think he's going to want to prosecute one of the two candidates for unlawful possession of classified material when the other candidate may also have unlawfully possessed or improperly at least possessed uh, a classified material. Yeah, there are differences, but the words improperly possessed and classified material appear in both. And that's the headline. And so I think in the end, this is going to benefit Trump. I'm not sure. I mean, one can't ever be sure about things uh, uh, like this. But, you know, as I've said before, on the issue of Mar-a-Lago, I just don't think there is a realistic possibility of an accusation against either of them. But let's focus on on uh, Donald Trump, where the focus really has been, has been placed. I, I just think that for a candidate for president who's running against the boss of the attorney general who appoints him and who could promote him. Um, I just don't think there's going to be a prosecution unless these two standards, which I've set out before, are met. One is the Richard Nixon standard, and that is Richard Nixon was not thrown out of office because the Democrats wanted him thrown out. He was thrown out of office because the Republicans wanted him thrown out. Um, the Republicans went to him and said, unless you resign, uh, we're going to we're going to vote to impeach you and probably to prosecute you. And um, it was bipartisan. And, and that's why it passed the test, a very difficult and steep test 
when you're dealing with a sitting president or a future uh, president. So, so that's the Nixon test, which I don't think it passes. The second is the Hillary Clinton, Sandy Berger test. Um, and now it's the Hillary Clinton, Sandy Berger, Joe Biden test is what Trump did so much worse than what the three Democrats did that you can justify prosecuting Trump, not having prosecuted any of the other three. I think you can make technical arguments uh, in justification of a distinction, but I don't think they'll wash with public opinion. I think public opinion will say, look, there are three people, um, uh, four people, three of them Democrats, one a Republican. Uh, they all had improper possession of classified material. And now we're seeing the democratically appointed attorney general, the man appointed by Joe Biden, who's running against Donald Trump. And, and, and they're going to prosecute Donald Trump and not going to prosecute any of the other three uh, people. It, it just won't pass the not only justice test, but the appearance of justice. Justice must not only be done, it must seem to be done. And it must seem to be done, particularly when you have political uh, uh, cases. Uh, you know, it was a, a, a South American dictator who once said, for my friends, everything, for my enemies, the law. And you can't impose the law selectively on your enemies. Uh, we don't want to become uh, like Brazil. And maybe we'll talk about Brazil in a, in a future in a future situation. Uh, Brazil is very different from America and what happened in the last few days in Brazil, violence and riots is very different from what happened on January 6th. But we'll get back to that at an appropriate time. Let's stick to the issue of, of classified material. Number one, the law, even today, even after all this focus, is very unclear. Uh, and we don't know what former presidents have done. The, the Biden situation and the appointment of a special investigator to look into it may actually result in going back in time and looking at what previous presidents have done with materials that could help them with their memoirs. And we know that virtually every previous president in modern times has written a memoir and they've needed to have access to material, including classified material, when they write their memoirs. They didn't do anything malicious. They didn't do anything to um, uh, sell their, their, their um, uh, documents or give them to the Chinese. No, they just did it for their own convenience. And they did it to help them uh, draft and write their memoirs. And I suspect that's true of all four of, of these people that we've mentioned. We know Definitely that it was true of Sandy Berger. He basically was convicted of doing exactly that. Wasn't really convicted. He just was fined. But uh, maybe it was technically a conviction. I'm not sure. But he was fined uh, for taking material from the archives and stuffing it in his stocking. I mean, he didn't do that to sell it to the Chinese. He did it because he wanted to have access to this uh, firsthand material for purposes of writing his memoir. And let's remember, too, that all of these people knew what was in this material. It weren't secrets to them. Um, they could, had they chosen to, have revealed these secrets on 60 Minutes and, uh, uh, or, other, or, or, or written them in the memoir. Some of them did. And I, I think we have seen situations where people have put in their memoirs a material which were at least questionable in terms of should they have been disclosed or shouldn't they have been disclosed? As you know, presidents have the complete power to um, declassify anything while they're president. They don't have 
any power to declassify after they stop being uh, the president and the vice president has no power to uh, declassify. So, you know, we're in a we're in a gray area. And I think the time has come for the rules to be stated with absolute clarity so that we don't get into a situation where the law, particularly the criminal law, can be weaponized by one party against the other party. And we're going to see that. Believe me, we're going to see that. I warned everybody. I warned the Democrats. I warned my former students who are uh, in Congress and members of the Democratic Party, beware of what you're doing to Republicans because they're going to come back and do the same thing to you once they get power. Now they have power, barely, barely. And we saw the um, Kevin McCarthy fiasco, uh, but they have power and, and there will be committees uh, which will have Republican majorities and Republican chairmen and chairwomen, and they will do to the Democrats what the Democrats have done to them. It's the opposite of the golden rule. Do unto others what they have done unto you. Uh, and, and that's the rule of politics. And we're going to see a lot of tit for tat. And we're going to see a lot of investigations already. Uh, some of the chairmen have said, now we're going to look into uh, who has had what kind of access to what kind of material and who has acted improperly? And why did the Justice Department go after X, Y, but not after Z? We're going to hear a lot of that. I, I would hope that the Republicans will be somewhat fairer than the Democrats. What the Democrats did with the January 6th committee was beyond unfair. The idea of having a committee with only Trump haters uh, on it, no opportunity to cross-examine witnesses, no opportunity to subpoena information. That's why not a single word not a single word on the conclusion of the January 6th committee should be taken seriously. It should be put in the circular file where it belongs and totally ignored. And even the witnesses, people say, oh, but the witnesses testified. You have to take them seriously. The witnesses testified. No, you don't have to take them seriously. They were not cross-examined. They were not subjected to what I think it was Blackstone uh, who said, the greatest engine of truth discovered by humankind is cross-examination. Remember that emanates from, from the Bible in the book of Daniel, uh, how effective cross-examination could prove the innocence of somebody against whom two witnesses had previously testified and who had been sentenced to death. So uh, the rule, the rule that uh, allows cross-examination separately of adverse witnesses goes back to biblical times and has been certainly an essential part of the Anglo-American system of justice, but not for Democrats in the House, not for Jamie Raskin, uh, not for the others on that committee. No. What do they need cross-examination for? They know the truth with a capital T. What do they need due process? What do you need free speech? We don't need any of those things. They're just barriers to democratic control. Um, now, let's see if the Republicans do the same thing. You know, people say to me all the time, I'm wishy-washy. You can't tell whether I'm a Republican or a Democrat. Good. Uh, I am uh, wishy-washy when it comes to results. I'm not wishy-washy when it comes to principles. I apply the same principles to everybody, the same principles to each party. I want to see due process, fairness, equal justice, free speech, presumption of innocence, applied no matter who the subject of the inquiry is, no matter who 
the interrogators are, no matter which party is controlled, the same rules must apply. And I don't know how many of you, my viewers and listeners, believe in that. Um, I do. And uh, the fact that you're watching me may suggest that you have some sympathy to my position. But I have to tell you, most Americans have no sympathy for my position. They just want results. They want to know, is this good for the Democrats, good for the Republicans? It reminds me of my grandmother. I've told the story before. My grandmother from, from Poland um, came to America, learned a little bit about America. And I was a fervent Brooklyn Dodger fan. And I would come home from Ebbets Field and I'd say, Grandma, Grandma, the Brooklyn Dodgers won. And she would say, yeah, but was that good or bad for the Jews? That's all. She saw the world through the focus of her growing up in a ghetto and growing up among pogroms and going up with anti-Semitism. Was it good or bad for the Jews? That's what's going on today. Is it good or bad for the Democrats? Is it good or bad for the Republicans? Almost nobody asks. Is it good or bad for the Constitution? Is it good or bad for America? Is it good or bad for the people of this country? Is it good or bad for world peace? No. Everybody wants to know. Is it good or bad for my group? My little congregation, my little shtetl. Uh, that's what people want to know. Uh, my grandmother's shtetl were the Jews. Today, the shtetls are the Democrats, the Republicans, liberals versus conservatives, right versus left. Everybody wants to make sure that the outcome favors their particular partisan views or their particular party. Well, not me. I'm not in favor of that. And I'm going to call it the way I see it. I'm going to call it in favor of the Democrats when that's warranted, in favor of the Republicans when that's warranted, and against either side when that's warranted. And I hope that you will agree with me on this. Write me letters. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me that um, my views are too narrow or I'm wishy-washy. I'm willing to accept that kind of criticism. The same thing is true of the Supreme Court. Today, the left wants to attack the Supreme Court because it doesn't like the overruling of Roe versus Wade or some decisions involving gun control. Um, but I remember the time when it was the right that was attacking the Supreme Court after Brown versus Board of Education and Roe versus Wade. So again, people don't seem to care about the institution of the Supreme Court. They care much more about today's results. What we want is we want our side to win and we want it today. Look at what the Democrats are doing. Uh, some of them calling for court packing. They want four new justices appointed and they want appointed today by Biden. So that they can overrule some of the previous decisions and bring back Roe versus Wade. And they want uh, limitations on the jurisdiction of the court. In Israel, it's the opposite. It's the right wing who wants limitations on the jurisdiction of the court. They don't care about the court as an institution. They just want the results they want. The right in Israel wants right wing results. The left in America wants left wing results. It's the same thing. The mirror image, just look in the mirror, you see it comes out backwards. And that's what's happening today all over the world, all over the world, whether it be in Brazil or in other countries in South and Central America or in Europe. People care about the results. People care about the outcome. So let's keep an open mind on President Biden's uh, improper possession or storage of classified material. It may be entirely uh, innocent uh, it may require further investigation, presumption of innocence, open mind, 
simple application of the same rule, no double standards, and that's what will really make America great. So let me turn to some letters. I have to tell you, uh, the show yesterday, uh, I was surprised, pleasantly surprised in some ways. Uh, a lot of people didn't think I should have a show on the royals. Why do we care about the royals, royal this, the royal that? No, we have better things to think about. Uh, why are you focusing on the royals? I just thought it would be interesting, having just seen the night before the interview uh, on um, 60 Minutes with, uh, with Prince Harry. And some of you liked it. Some of you agreed with it. Probably more of you liked it than are willing to admit you liked it because it's not in today to say, well, I, I care about the royals and I don't particularly care about the royals. And, uh, but I, I, found, I found that Harry's interview was, was quite interesting. So here are some, a couple of letters about that and other subjects. Um, as a Brit... I would say that when we look at the dysfunctional corruption and general ineptitude of the many people elected in the United States, it makes our royal family look much more attractive in comparison. I suspect some of you will agree with that. Uh, no system is perfect, but our current constitutional monarchy, this is England, works well. The monarchy provides a point of stability and national unity in contrast to our politicians who seek to create endless instability and divisions in society. Okay, that's an argument, by the way, that's also made for the presidency of Israel. Um, Israel has a very political prime minister, obviously, my friend, Benjamin Netanyahu, but it has a president who is essentially non-political. He comes from a political background. His father was the president of Israel. His grandfather was the chief rabbi, not only of Israel, but of Ireland. Um, um, and, and so people think that the president of Israel is like the king and lends stability to an otherwise very political society. Whereas in America, there's no one who is non-partisan. Used to think maybe justice of the Supreme Court. Forget about it. Today, they're perceived of as political as any of the other actors in our government. Okay, here's another one uh, about, about England. Um, there has been little, uh, oh no, it's the way it starts. The royal family never treated the Irish in any particular way, at least not in the way that we'd ever know due to their policy of political ambivalence. Um, there, there, there has been little actual sovereign power in the U.S. for centuries, really since the first King Charles. Um, the mistreatment of the Irish, especially the Great Famine, was the policy of the government, not royalty. In fact, royalty at the time, Queen Victoria, personally donated the equivalent of millions of dollars uh, when adjusted for inflation in famine relief. Well, I think the picture is a little bit more ambivalent than that. Certainly the British mistreated the Irish, and we know that. And uh, what role the royal family played or didn't play, um, I think is up to historians. But look, I didn't know that Queen Victoria had donated uh, to, help, uh, to help hunger, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad of that. Okay. In the 21st century, it amazes me that we still have royals. They are flawed and cupboards full of skeletons. They are human, so they are not difficult in us. Fancy curtsying to another human. Wow, 
how terrible that is. Unless we accept that we are all slaves. Well, again, that overstates it. The royal family is a symbol. Uh, by the way, it's not only Britain that has a royal family. Belgium has a royal family. Holland has a royal family. A number of countries still have royal families, and there are still some other countries that are part of, if not the British Commonwealth, what used to be called the British Commonwealth. So, um, um, you know, you can have you can have a royal family without having slavery. You know, the king can't command people anymore. You don't have to accept what the king uh, uh, says or what the queen used to say. You can simply ignore them without any fear of criminal prosecution. Uh, okay, I talked about there are no royal families in, in the United States that the Bushes, yeah, sure, they had two presidents. One of them has a one-term, Adams, two one-term presidents. Clinton, Obama, they don't seem to be real royal families. But somebody writes back, Alan, what about the Kennedys? One served as president, two more ran for president. Democrats still swoon over the Kennedy name. I think they tried to be an American royal family. The problem is they weren't up to it. And uh, there were too many fallacies and flaws and imperfections. And today the name Kennedy uh, doesn't carry uh, that much weight. Uh, my former student, who I really liked very much, Joe Kennedy, was our congressman from Cambridge, Massachusetts, and from like or Newton or Brookline, Massachusetts, or our adjoining area. And I supported him and I campaigned for him. I liked him very much. I thought he was terrific. But the Kennedy name didn't help him when he ran for the United States Senate and 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 lost pretty decisively. Okay, here's one. I'm glad you said what you said about Jews, whoopee. Whoopi Goldberg, and correctly educating people about Hitler's guiding principles that the Jews were a race of people. But it wasn't just Hitler. In fact, he was popular with the majority of Germans because of his view, and not only the Germans, but a large portion of the Austrian population, I would add to that, of the Ukrainian population, of the Polish population, uh, of the Lithuanian, of the Latvian, of the Estonian, and, uh, and of the French. Uh, many, many, many populations, which is probably why they held an election and voted to surrender to uh, Germany. Well, it wasn't quite that. They didn't. It was Anschluss. Uh, they, they not only didn't surrender to Germany, they welcomed Germany with open arms. The Austrians were as guilty of Nazism as, as were uh, the Germans. Um, the difference is the Germans apologized and made reparations after the war and the Austrians continued their policies of anti-Semitism to this very day. It's, uh, it's not a place that's uh, friendly to, uh, to Jews. Uh, Vienna, which was the heart of Jewish culture, you know, uh, the heart of Jewish literature, music, psychology, academia. Uh, it, it was just a, a major place of Jewish contributions to the world, Mahler and and, and, and Freud and, uh, you know, you name it, Chrysler. And there's so many, so many people. And, and, and they just turned against them. When Hitler did his heil, they heiled back. And they were, they were, they were terrible. Um, um, I like listening to you because you have a lot of intellectual knowledge and you are fair-minded. I really can respect a person of legal and historical intellect that does not let his politics guide him to make incorrect predictions, conclusions, or advice. Bravo. Thanks to you for that. Well, you get me. Uh, you really do get me. You understand 
where I come from. I'm a political person. Um, I vote with enthusiasm in elections. I care deeply about whether the Democrats or the Republicans will win. Um, I am a liberal. Uh, I'm a libertarian. Um, I, I'm a person who slightly bends to the left. I'm certainly not a right winger. Um, um, and, but people misunderstand my views. Uh, just today on a, a radio interview in, in Israel, people said to me, how can you be opposed to the judicial reforms in the Supreme Court, uh, which Netanyahu favors, and yet be in favor of Netanyahu and think he should not be prosecuted for his crimes? I say, that's what nuance is like. That's what complexity of thought is like. Uh, that's what everybody should be doing, namely not voting a particular side of an issue, but analyzing every issue on their own merits and sometimes coming out one way, sometimes coming out another way. Uh, keep an open mind. Uh, don't let your values and your <clears throat> views be dictated by partisan considerations. That's, that's my approach. That's my suggestion. I hope you agree with me. And if you don't, um, uh, write me. See you tomorrow.